Welcome to Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Relationships are probably where we spend the most time and the most energy in our lives. They can be the sources of our greatest joy, but they can also cause us the deepest pain and frustration. This podcast is about helping you connect a little bit better every day in your relationships. Welcome to episode six of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. I'm really excited for today's episode. My guest is Dr. Phil Boucher. He is a husband, a father of five, and a board-certified pediatrician in Lincoln, Nebraska. Phil posts parenting content that focuses on empowering parents to feel confident and connected in their relationships. His podcast, Parenting Matters, just reached 100 episodes, and he has an active presence on Instagram and YouTube at Raising Good Parents. We are so excited to have Dr. Boucher with us today. He is going to talk about his life as a pediatrician and a father. Um, He just is recovering from COVID, and he's going to talk about toddlers and toddler tantrums and really how to connect every day through the little things with your young children. So welcome, Phil. I'm so happy you could join us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Your podcast, like I know it's just getting off the ground, but it's like I love the episodes that you've put out so far, and I'm really excited to be asked to be on. Well, thank you. Um, Mostly we've talked about older kids. And so I'm excited as we talk in a few minutes to really kind of, you're going to dig into those toddler years, which we haven't had a toddler expert on. Um, And I know you're a pediatrician and you're a dad of five kids, but I also know that you are just recovered from COVID yourself. And I was wondering, yeah, if you could talk about that for a little bit, what it's been like. Oh my, it was quite the surprise because I, like you said, I'm a pediatrician and I've been pretty active on social media about like all the science on coronavirus and how to prevent it and everything. And I started to feel rough uh, and thought it was allergies. And the next night I had fever and muscle aches and got tested and was positive. And so that was kind of a, a rude awakening for me. And I, I, you know, felt some guilt and some confusion and some frustration that, you know, how did this happen to me? But I realized as I talked to my patients about it, that like, there's only so many things that you can do. And even with all those things, when the case count is high, everybody is susceptible to it. And I see patients in the office and that puts me at risk too. So I had a fine course with it. I'm young and pretty healthy. And so um, I felt uh, fine after a couple of days, I lost my sense of taste and smell and I have not gotten those back. So I'm diligently waiting for that and Mm -hmm. testing all the food just to see if my taste or smell returned because I wouldn't want to miss any cookies or anything like that. But it, (laughs) but it has been, uh, it was a surprise and fortunately none of the rest of my family got it. We weren't, uh, we have five young kids, like you said. And so it really wasn't an option for me to just like peace out for 10 days or hide out in the basement and watch Netflix. Um, but I wore a mask around my family and nobody has shown any symptoms yet. We did have them all tested kind of early in my course because they all had runny noses, which must be allergies or just regular colds because they were all negative. And mm-hmm. we've just been hunkering down. Mm-hmm. I love all of the practical suggestions you've given about, you know, 
Halloween and big football games and big gatherings. Um, and so I can understand when you say you felt guilt, confusion, and frustration because you've really been out there educating people and encouraging people to really, really be safe, especially you're in Lincoln, Nebraska, which I guess has really skyrocketed in cases recently. Yep, we have. We really are, you know, in the top five in the states right now. Um, the upper Midwest is just being hit really hard by it. And and we're included in that. So I have been pretty outspoken on social media about like things that we could do better as a state um, mm -hmm. to, to get this under control. No, I think that's great. So let's shift to parenting a little bit. Um, you're the first dad and the first male that I'm having. And I'm really excited because I really want that perspective. And I really, my whole podcast is about connecting in relationships and a lot of parenting and a lot of marriage. Um, so I know you're a pediatrician too, but I want you to put your dad hat on and I want you to tell me what the biggest struggle for you as a parent of five young kids has been so far. That is a fantastic question. I think for me as a dad, the two things that have been the hardest, the hardest is feeling like you're doing enough and making a difference in your, your children's lives. And I think that a lot of parents feel that way too, from, from the ones that I talk with, that it's like, am I doing enough? Am I doing the right things? Is my kid going to turn out okay? And I think that's always something that, that parents worry about. Like, what am I doing right now? Is How is that going to impact my child? in five years from now and 10 years from now and 20 years from now. So I think mm -hmm. just that, that, that question or that confusion or uncertainty um, has been always a struggle for me. Just to, like, am I doing enough? Could I have done more? And I usually just try and give myself grace that yes, I'm doing as much as I can. And I'm, I'm, I think I'm doing the practices that I know to be helpful to have kids that are grow up and feel connected and all of that. And so I just try and like live in that place of the uncertainty, but the confidence that I'm doing what I can. I think the other mm -hmm. thing is just time and making feeling like you have enough time to give your children and your spouse and your self care and all those different things that are that are on your plate as a parent um, that that weighs on you too is am I giving them enough time? Am I giving myself enough time? Am I connecting in the ways that that they need to in the time that we have together? Mm -hmm. Well, I see you doing it. I love your little picnics and um, you know, you just show little glimpses. And I think that's what I like so much about following you on social media is I don't just see the pediatrician, I see the dad. And I see and you show the good, bad and the ugly. You had a little a little video giving your youngest, I guess, is that Gloria? Uh-huh. Medicine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's getting it all over her hands and being, you know, sticky. And I mean, it was it was great because you're like, okay, okay. Yeah, he struggles with the same things. We oh, yeah, for sure. Struggle with. Yeah, <laughs> I do yeah. try and exemplify the struggle because the struggle is real and we all face that. And, um, you know, the pediatrics thing is one thing, but fortunately we live in an era where most kids stay relatively healthy for their life. And so we can try and do the best we can to promote their health. But a lot of parents are more concerned about raising good kids and connecting with their family mm -hmm. and, and all mm -hmm. of those things at this point, which is a good privileged thing that we're fortunate to worry more about parenting than that our child is going to get some serious infection or have some specific disease that, you know, in, in years past would have would have. Um, been life or limb threatening. Um, yeah. but, but that's what a lot of parents want to know about. And so I've, en I've enjoyed getting to talk uh, about those things and connect with parents in that way. 
So how do you connect with your kids every day, even though you have a very demanding career, you host a wonderful podcast, you run a professional Instagram, you have a wife. Um, how do you how do you connect with them in a meaningful way each day? I think for me, the biggest thing is rather than feeling like we have to connect in a specific outing or a specific curated activity is just connect with them in the moment where you are and see how you can integrate connection into the other stuff you're doing. I don't think you have to call it like multitasking, like let me do this and connect at the same time, but instead just integrating your children into what you're doing. If you're cooking a meal, how can they help? The other day we were, <laughs> I had to fix a toilet and um, mm-hmm. I was like, uh, Walt, come along, see how a toilet works. And um, I brought him along and showed him and then Dorothy showed up and Harry showed up and everybody wanted to see how to fix the toilet. And that was a connection opportunity because we talked about it and they were excited about it just to see how the inner workings of a toilet is. Mm -hmm. And that was an opportunity to connect, even though I was just fixing a toilet. Like you don't have to make these special trips to the zoo or curated events or activities where you have to go get supplies at Hobby Lobby. Those are great ways to connect as a family and to do special activities. But really it's how can you do it in the ordinary time and in the ordinary things that are going on in your life. That it, for me is much more manageable as a way to connect when you're doing the everyday life stuff. I love that. And I think everybody listening can identify with it. I saw that. It's funny you mentioned that. As soon as you said it, I saw three kids around <laughs> the toilet um, and was like, what? What's going on? What are they doing there? But that's so wonderful because you're right. We don't have necessarily the time. And and I think because parents often think it has to be this big thing, they don't do it. And there are all these missed opportunities every day, cooking and doing chores together and projects like that. But the other thing that goes along with that is you're teaching them really valuable skills. And I know a lot of parents will say, it, it might take twice as long to cook if I let the kids help. It might sure. take twice as long to fix the toilet. But you're actually, it's okay if it takes twice as long because you're doing so much more than just fixing the toilet. Right. And and that, I think, is the thing that I've learned, too. It's like, it's okay if it doesn't go perfect. It's okay if you make a little bit more of a mess or it takes a little bit longer because you're you're built, filling up their bucket so that the rest of the day, they're a little bit more connected. They're a little bit more tuned in. Maybe their behaviors will be a little bit better. And then you can have a moment to yourself, too, where where you don't have to worry about them, you know, acting out or something like that because you've taken that time and you've gotten something done that you need to do, like fixing a toilet or making a meal. That's so true. That's a very wise way to approach it. I know a lot of parents think if I if I spend this extra time now, I'm not going to get it back later. But you're right. If you meet their needs, then they usually do go along with things better and do behave better. Yes. Um, not to say that sometimes they don't like. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, there's specific times where like, wow, I really filled up Dorothy, our four-year-old's bucket today <laughs> by reading stories and playing make-believe and all these things. Why on earth did she look me in the eyes and throw her food across the room or dump her milk on the floor or, you know, all those sort of things. Like it's not perfect. It doesn't work every time. It doesn't keep all things at bay, but I do think it helps in the grand scheme of things. There is a return on investment in the day to day from those things. And of course, in the longevity of your life as a parent and 
um, you know, for your child and their relationship and everything like that. There's huge return on investment for all that. But usually there is a return on investment in the day to day, allowing them and connecting with them in those ways. That's so good. So one of the things you kind of alluded to that I really want you to talk more about is um, that challenging stage of parenting, that toddler preschool years, which I'm pretty far past. So I don't remember it as clearly as you're right in the thick of it, but specifically emotional outbursts and tantrums. I know that you have kind of a method or a way of handling tantrums and even connecting with your toddler as they're melting down, which seems like it would be impossible to do. Right. So I think, you know, when parents come to me, they often want to know, like, how do I get them to stop doing this behavior that they're doing? Um, how can we uh, get them to stop biting, hitting, um, melting down at the grocery store and all of those things? How can we eliminate that behavior? And I try and redirect the parent to think, OK, why are they doing this? What is the context of it? Well, they might be hungry. They might be angry. They might be tired. They might be, you know, they've been on all day at school and then they come home and kind of just unload. And instead of trying to nip the behavior in the bud, just see where your child is at. Listen to them and what they're telling you with the way that they're acting, with what they're actually saying, or listen to the context of the situation and see, okay, it's been a long day. They didn't get their nap today. They probably haven't had a snack in a long time and they're hungry. Here's the other things that are going on. They're they're not in it to really like ruin my day or make me upset. What they're doing is, you know, what we all do when we're tired, when we're not at our best, is we melt down to, in some way. So coming from a place of listening to them and then really empathizing. And, and for me, if you can tell a toddler why you think they're upset, then that is usually enough to improve their behavior. And they say, OK, my mom gets it. My dad gets it. Yes, I'm upset because I really wanted to watch that show and now I'm not getting to watch that show and so I'm upset by that and if you can just say those words to the toddler even if it seems absurd or something like you shouldn't be that upset like oh Dorothy I see that you're really angry it looks like you're mad because I cut your sandwich in the wrong direction that makes you mad doesn't it and if you can can then, then they think oh yeah well my dad gets it he is seeing that I'm upset because he cut my sandwich in triangles when I wanted it in squares that he, he gets that. And if you can take that and you can sit, you know, then you can move forward from there. Once the child feels understood, just like me as an adult, I like to be understood. If, if I'm upset about something or angry or feeling misunderstood, then feeling understood helps. So if you can make your child feel understood, then usually from there, you can bridge to adjusting the behavior or at least move them past that tantrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're so right. It's the same with adults. It's like a lot of times people just want to s- jump right to the solution, you know, and, and you're right. They want to nip at the behavior. They want to stop the screaming. But if you really stop and step back and I hear you saying, just really try to understand what the feeling is underneath the behavior and acknowledge that. And so specifically, you're saying specifically say to them, you're really upset about this. And then kind of move forward with whatever the plan would be to to bridge to the next next activity or what they need to do. Right. And I think a lot of parents like 
once you've gotten over that, they want to just move on and not talk about it anymore. But I find mm. that if instead you can let the child kind of role play, if things had gone the way they wanted, what that would look like, that that gets mm -hmm. them through it much faster. And then they can kind of in their mind have experienced that. Oh, Dorothy, I see that you're so upset because I cut your sandwich into triangles and you wanted it in squares. Now, if we were doing it again and you were cutting your sandwich, how would you cut it? And then you get them to do that. Wow, maybe next time you can just do it. What color of knife would you want to use, you know, or what plate should we put it on? Something like that where then you can bridge through from there without, you know, making them a new sandwich or turning the TV back on. You can still say, hey, I know you really wanted to watch that show and we had to turn it off. Next time we watch a show, what show do you want to watch? Oh, I love that song. Now we have to get going, but maybe we could listen to Frozen in the car on our way. Do you think that would be a nice thing to do? What song do you want to pick? You know, something like that where you can, you almost embrace or, you know, sit down in the moment rather than just trying to hurry things along and get through it. And then the child sees, okay, they get it. I realize that they're not going to make me a new sandwich, but <laughs> I know that next time we'll get it right. And I get to help and I get to pick the the plate out and all those different things that that is enough to move them forward from that. And then you're connected with them too, because they feel more understood than they did before. Yeah, that is such great advice. And it's really practical. I think that the key is for parents in that moment to not get flustered and to just really calm down and kind of focus to do that. We called what you're describing, I had just had a flashback to my graduate school days. We called it fantasy chain when, um, and I don't know who coined that term, but when, when, and I used it with my oldest son a lot because he was kind of stubborn. And <laughs> when he wouldn't get his way, I would say, well, if you did, if we did get to stay at the toy store longer, what would you want it to look at next? Right. And you're right. It always diffused the situation. Yeah. It's almost like just leaning into it, allowing them to act out in their, their, fantasy what it is that they're hoping for and then you don't even have to give them it's like getting christmas presents in october when you've made your list and then you're done and you feel really good about making the list and making sure people understand that when you didn't even really get any of the presents yet that's right that's right and some of those some of my women listeners we do that we online shop we put things in our cart but we never hit buy <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of the same thing yeah so what about if you're in a restaurant or at a church and they start melting down? Do the same strategies apply or? Yeah. So then you're always at like a little bit higher stakes because other people are counting on you to keep your kid under a little bit more control than you would maybe allow them to get to at home. I think in church and places like that, you know, anticipating is more important than ever and being on guard to see, okay, it looks like they're heading towards a meltdown because here's the things that they usually tell me when they're melting down and we're, we're going in that direction. What can we do to change things around quickly? And it might be involving them or giving them a choice or just taking them and holding them and saying, hey, it looks like you're getting upset. Are you getting upset? And then that might be enough for them to just say yes and feel like, okay, my mom gets it. This is really stressful. It's really hot. I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed with all the people around me, whatever it is, then, you know, you can help to diffuse things before they really get going. Mm -hmm. I also think that once you're in the midst of it, because off, yeah, it'd be great if we just never had any tantrums because we anticipated everything. Um, once they're in it, which will still mostly be the case where we still get into that tantrum mode and everything like that, then what you can do is just excuse yourself from the situation and you don't have to try and browbeat your child into acting perfect at that moment but just try and make them again feel you listen to understood 
um, and acknowledged for what they're facing. And then it's much quicker to move through that because I think parents want to, one, they want to quickly move through whatever is causing them embarrassment or frustration in the moment when they're at church or at a restaurant or wherever. And then two is make sure their child doesn't do it again by really making them understand how bad it is. Leave the how bad it is and how you can't do that and it's not acceptable for another time if you ever bring it up at all. And, and just focus on moving through that. And then later you can debrief. You can debrief hours or even days later. Hey, remember the other day when we were at the restaurant, you got really upset and you threw your plate on the ground. What were you thinking? What was going through your mind? It seems like you were really upset about something. Was it because it was taking a really long time to get the food? That makes me angry too. And if, if you can focus on that and debriefing on those things later, then you can say, hey, what, well, next time we are really waiting a long time for our food, what do you think we could do? And let them come up with some ideas of how to pass the time. You could play tic-tac-toe or something like that. Instead mm -hmm. of trying to get things under control and make them understood how embarrassing it was that they did that in front of family or at church, just leave that alone. Don't focus on that. Focus on making them feel understood and acknowledged and they'll move through it much faster. Yeah, that's so true. And you're right. A lot of times that I think that embarrassment um, and that what are all the other parents going to think? Or are people going to look? Are we making a scene? That kind of just adds fuel to the tantrum. Whereas if you can do exactly what you said, that sort of diffuses the situation. Now, what are your suggestions on how to begin to teach toddlers or preschoolers, you know, some fundamental ways of, of how to identify their feelings and communicate them more effectively. I think that um, for one, modeling helps. So if I can share my feelings on a regular basis, then it will help my toddler to feel comfortable sharing their feelings. You can tell your toddler that you're upset. You can tell your toddler that you're there. You, you as the adult are tired or sad or frustrated. It's okay to have those emotions. And that gives your toddler some comfort and okay, these emotions are okay. It's okay to be upset about things. It's okay to be angry or sad or have those emotions that they're having. If you can model that on a regular basis and then try and mirror that back to them. Hey, you know, you can say, Hey, it really seems like you're upset. Is that how you're feeling right now? Do you know what upset feels like? Like when things aren't going your way or when you're really angry that you didn't get what you wanted, that's feeling upset. Is that how you feel right now? How does your body feel and kind of get them to say, well, my, you know, in their own way that their fists are clenched or they're standing really angry or stomping their feet or they don't want to stand up or sit down or whatever they're supposed to be doing. If you can just kind of model for them what those emotions are that they're experiencing mm -hmm. that you're experiencing then it's a way for everybody to kind of develop the same emotional language so that then you are able to communicate about those things and you can say you know you are really upset and i bet that part of it is that you're hungry because we skipped snack time today didn't we do you think that maybe we should have a little bit of a snack and see if that improves our mood and then you get your snack you have your snack and then hey it seems like you are in a much better mood it seems like you're happier because you're smiling you're laughing and you're playing do you think it's because you hadn't eaten for a while that you were so upset before maybe next time if it's this time of day and you're really upset we should try having a little healthy snack because it seems like when you don't have a snack that it, you get a little bit sad and upset more easily. Is that true? And just let the child kind of develop those connections and see that when they're hungry, they act out more. And once they've put that together, then they'll say, okay, yeah, that does make sense. I do act out more when I'm hungry. I should 
consider that, you know, these are things that they have to develop over time. But if you can show them that, then it's much more likely that they'll get it and understand. And when they're experiencing those things in the future, easier to calm down and move through those things because they recognize those emotions and those bodily feelings that they're having. Yeah, I think that's such good advice because a lot of these tantrums and meltdowns happen like you said, because something's not being met, they're tired, they need a nap, there's a feeling that they don't really know how to express. They know that one right. way, that right. tantrum <laughs> way. And so if we can model other ways of sharing their feelings, naming their feelings, uh, by mirroring that back to them and really giving them, I love how you said that emotional language, that's really beneficial. And I think a lot of parents think, well, that just comes and it does eventually but what a gift if we can help them get it you know if we can teach it to them too definitely yep one of the things i've done and i really didn't think about it until just what you were describing but when i've had um, clients who are really struggling with teaching their kids to express emotions i say you know get a big piece of that craft paper like that comes on rolls on our easels or even just a big you know, anything. You could do it in the sidewalk with sidewalk chalk. And I'll make an outline of the toddler preschooler's body and give them different colors to kind of debrief after an emotional episode and say, what what color was your head feeling? And they'll pick, you know, red or black or what color were you feeling in your tummy um, when you were really upset about that or when you got, you know, when you threw your plate at the restaurant so that they can start to, because they might not understand the emotion, but Kids understand colors pretty quickly Definitely. and how parts of their body felt. And that's like a really, really early step. But I do think as parents, we have to kind of help them along with those skills to be able to communicate their feelings. Right. I think that most people, you know, that uh, are adult age probably didn't get a big emotional um, language vocabulary as children. And so if we can help our kids to do that, then hopefully they'll be able to better communicate as they grow up with their friends, with their partners, all those different people and, and have a better emotional intelligence level. That's true. Speaking of partners, I'm glad you brought that up because my next question is, um, I don't know, probably 80% of my clients are women. Um, and they're often saying like, how do I get my husband to be more involved um, with the home life? You know, mm. that a how, how they, I see you doing it so beautifully connecting with your five children. How do you suggest that women who maybe want to encourage that in their partners, a good way to kind of do that? I think that it helps dads in particular if they feel like it's something on their terms. It might not be the exact same as mom in terms of the activities done or the ways to connect, but to find some things that you or your husband enjoys doing and how can we use that thing that you enjoy as a way to connect with the kids, whether it be outside, I'm just going to, you know, stereotype and talk about the things that dads often like more, which is outside work, like yard work. Mm -hmm or working in the garage, or fixing things, or sports, how can we use that as a way to connect, come to where you are, rather than feeling like you have to try and get that, get dad to enjoy the same things that mom enjoys doing with the kids. And then I think really, if you can encourage your husband and say, wow, it seems like the kids were really in a great mood after you connected with them, fixing that toilet, 
things like that make a huge difference for me because it gives me a little bit of break when the kids are all playing with you and hanging out with you, getting this toilet repaired, things like that just help to, you know, give a little boost of affirmation and it helps to reinforce that these are helpful things that, that a dad can do because you're right. I think um, most of my online audience is moms and mm-hmm. if we can get more dads involved, then I think that we can see the the benefits both for the dad, for the child, and for the mom that everybody's participating in this parenting thing. And it's not just one partner that is in charge of the parenting and the, the parenting expert or the parenting go-to person that, that both can play a role. And it doesn't have to be the same role. It can be specialized for the areas of interest that both mom has and that dad has. No, that's that's so true. And I think... A lot of women want dad involved, but then when dad gets involved, sometimes they criticize the way they're doing it. And so I think, yeah, if you can let them have their thing and just sort of stay out of it and even encourage it. I remember when I was pregnant with my oldest son, I was on bed rest for the, I had some preterm labor and um, I saw, I don't know if it was, it was Diane Sawyer, whatever she was on 2020 or Dateline. And she did a thing about husbands being involved. And I was a practicing counselor at the time, but this still really struck me because we don't know everything. (laughs) And she said, if you want dads involved, um, you've got to find a thing that is their thing and then don't tell them to do it your way. Like if you want them to help with the homework, don't criticize when they do it in blue pen rather than black pen. And so I went to my husband and I said, okay, what do you want to be in charge of? I was a college professor at the time. So I was going to be more home, home more with our son. And he said, bath time. I want to be in charge of bath time. So when we went to register, he picked all the bath toys and the bath towels and the baby bath. Like that was his stuff to register for. He was bath man with all three of our kids. I never got involved. That, and I never criticized if there was water all over, if it took too long, if they maybe didn't get as clean. It was because that was his thing. And it was a great way at the end of the day for me to have a break. <laughs> I mean, I gave him a bath sometimes if he was right. out of town or, you know. Um, but that was kind of his thing. And and it's, I mean, our kids are grown now. But he's still, like our 14-year-old, he still is the last one to tuck her in every night because of that bath time routine. Um, but I never, I think to give them their thing and don't criticize how they're doing it. Because sure. there is no one way. Dad's way is really good too. Right. And I think that's something where it's easy to criticize, especially if you're the one that's been doing it more so and you're saying, okay, I'm going to let my partner um, take on this and see how it goes. Well, it might just be best to excuse yourself altogether and just let them be in charge of it. I mean, thinking about as a parent, like our kids get along with each other much better when they're outside and we are inside because we're not in the mix with them. We're not correcting every little thing that they do because most of the things they can work through on their own in the same way. If you can give your partner some space to parent and to figure it out, then oftentimes they're more reinforced and affirmed that, Hey, I did a good enough job at this. Things went fine. I had bath time or whatever it is under control and great job. Let's keep doing that. You do your thing. You do it your way. And I'm going to stay over here and stay out of the way. And then they want to do more of it because they feel successful. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's really good. Um, 
And so I've been ending all of my guest episodes with what is one piece of practical wisdom you can offer our listeners to better connect. And in your case, I want to hear about toddlers because that's what we've been talking about mostly today. I think the biggest thing that I would say is don't beat yourself up on how it goes on a day-to-day basis because when we look at the, you know, pick any professional sport or anything like that, not every day does every athlete show up and give their best and set their personal record, but they make slow incremental improvements over time. And that leads them to that elevated professional level. And we're going to take parenting the same way. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. You don't have to have every opportunity taken, every moment perfect, every Pinterestable moment captured and shared, just slowly, incrementally make steady improvements. And when you need help, get help. And when you need to figure things out, figure things out. And when you need to backpedal and try again, do that. But just realize that you have uh, so many opportunities to connect with your child that if you don't, if they don't all go perfect, if you don't get every tantrum right, it's not a big deal in the long term development of a healthy, positive, connected relationship with your child. That's so good. I love what you said. You have so many opportunities because you're right. Parents will beat themselves up over that one time that it maybe didn't go the way they wanted it to go. Um, when there's been 10 times it has, right. you know? Yeah, that's really good. So giving yourself grace and don't beat yourself up if it's, if it doesn't always go perfectly. Um, so Dr. Boucher, I really have enjoyed, and I'm so grateful um, that your mom connected us actually, which I just love on yes. social media because I really like seeing the way that you're raising your children and how involved you are. Where can our listeners find you if they want to learn more? Because you have some courses and you have a podcast and I'm sure yeah. people would love to find you. So thank you. Yeah, I do love the online presence. Um, my Instagram handle is at Raising Good Parents and that's pretty much where you can find me on YouTube as well, uh, Raising Good Parents. Um, and then I'm on Facebook as well at Dr. Phil Boucher, but, um, raising good parents is kind of my, um, overarching brand for parents. And so anywhere that you look, you should be able to find that and connect with me. And, um, I've really enjoyed this too. It's been fun to get to chat and, um, talk about connecting because that is so important. And I think parents are realizing the value of connection over discipline and over the specifics of how to fix behaviors. It's more about connecting. And I think we're going to raise a generation where connection is what's focused on and we're going to reap the the fruits of focusing on connection rather than on just nipping bad behaviors in the bud. Yeah, that's true. And 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 it will be, it will raise kids who become adults that are much more emotionally in tune and compassionate and so I think that's I think there's a lot of us out there that are trying to educate parents about that. Um, if you guys haven't seen his social media, it will all be in the show notes and definitely check it out because it's really wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It was my pleasure. Have a great day. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Hopefully, you've heard something that will help you as you continue to navigate the connections in your everyday relationships. If you'd like to connect with me on Instagram, you can follow me at Dr. Kim Swales or check out my website, www.kimswales.com. I'd also love if you would click subscribe 
and leave a positive review or a five-star rating for the podcast, as well as share it with your friends and family. The material in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If you are in need of medical or psychological counsel, please seek a licensed professional in your area. This episode was edited and produced by Sonia Kerrigan.